Well, good morning, and uh, it's great to be with you again for our Sunday worship service. I think by now most of us have had enough of isolation, and we would really look forward to being able to to get out and do some different things. Uh, it's been a different kind of experience for most of us, and uh, hopefully you're all doing really well. I, uh, I actually have a lot of offices that I work from. I often like to say that my office is actually where I'm located. I have an office uh, for my business in downtown Montreal, right in the heart of downtown. But I also have offices in Toronto and in Guelph, Ontario. I also have an office just outside of London in the UK. I visit all of my offices uh, quite often. In fact, uh, just this year, if it had not been for the coronavirus and, and the shutdown of travel, I probably would have become a member of the Million Mile Club in Air Canada. I'm not sure this is a good thing. Uh, they give you some status and a few privileges, but it just would have been an example of how much I actually have to tra uh, travel. Over the years, uh, I've traveled quite a lot, but I didn't in the beginning when I first opened up my regional offices. In the beginning, uh, I looked and I said, wow, I've got other people that can travel for me. And I had managers and directors that would take care of the people. I had salespeople to take care of the customers. And I left the regional offices to be on their own. I discovered with time though, that in the years when I would go there and I would spend a lot more time visiting an office, that we would see growth, we'd see change, we'd see improvements going on, efficiencies gained that we wouldn't get otherwise. And I discovered that, yeah, by traveling more, spending more time in each location, we would get these improved results. So as a result, I started traveling more. Um, now, I didn't want to always travel more. It results in a lot of fatigue. But if you get enough benefits out of it, you start looking and say, okay, I'll travel more. Now, I discovered some reasons why this might be so. Uh, you could probably think of a number of different reasons. One reason definitely was not because I had to. I'm the president. I'm the founder and the owner. I get to choose what I do. And I choose to go and do this. So a number of reasons could exist outside of that. First, I'm the CEO and the president, and I'm the primary vision person, the primary communicator of the vision and the mission of the company. Uh, I can have a role in motivating employees that other people may not have. I can come alongside and encourage people. I can just be helpful. Often it doesn't feel like I have a very useful role. I do exactly the same work in each of my offices. I carry my office with me. My office is in my laptop. And I will have the same kind of video conference meetings. I was doing video conference meetings 10 years ago. We were ready to go work remote over the last 10 years. And yet, there's a big difference. I can do all those things, and yet when I would visit my locations, I would see change. I actually think one of the biggest differences was not what I was doing for the others, but one of the big things or big changes that took place when I traveled to those regions was the change that would take place in me. It would be the impact that it would have on me. Now, what might that be? See, I would come back from each trip with a renewed vision and a connection to the potential, and I would see possibilities in that region. Uh, I saw opportunity, I saw plans, I'd be able to kick things in a year. Um, it made a difference in me. Uh, I didn't necessarily make a difference in everybody else. In an opposite example, uh, last year, about halfway through the year, we got an opportunity when one of our bigger customers, a global customer, decided to move all their IT department to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And my business partner, the co-founder, he traveled there a couple of times. 
And when he was there, he saw an opportunity for us, a business opportunity, open up a new office, uh, we'd be able to develop business, etc. by doing that. And he came back very excited. He had a vision for it, but I didn't have that vision for it. I could read the facts. I could see all the facts of what he gave me. And yet, I didn't, it didn't have that same impact on me. Um, my mind was not fed in quite the same way, and it wasn't as real, and it's just hard for it to, to set in in the same way. Uh, it's just really hard sometimes to imagine and to really make connections until something is real. And uh, so that was the difference, and the difference was in my mind. The most important thing about you, actually, is your mind. Not your brain. We all have a brain, but it is our mind. Now, what do we mean by that? Uh, there can be lots of different things meant when we say, uh, talk about the mind. It is, uh, the mind is what makes you special, makes you precious as a person. See, we might judge people by the way they look. But that's really, it's really a violation of their true worth when we do that. Because it is really their mind that's the most important thing. I'm not talking about intelligence either. But I'm talking about a person's mind. The body's important. Uh, the intelligence is important. But the mind is all important. Uh, the most important thing about your mind is what it is fixed upon. Now, I'm using mind in a general, as a general term and not distinguishing it from spirit or soul. Uh, in fact, even in the Bible, we even use the word heart sometimes interchangeably with the word for mind. In 1 Chronicles 22, verse 19, it says, Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Interestingly enough, the NIV changes that to heart and soul, using both words interchangeably. Uh, the mind, when thought about in this way, is the most significant aspect of our lives because it is through our minds that we make our contact with reality, even with spiritual reality. The ultimate freedom we have as people is the power to select what we will let our minds dwell upon and think about. By think, we mean all those different ways that, that we process information. Uh, we, we, we have ideas, we have beliefs, we have memories, uh, we have perceptions. The focus of your thoughts significantly affects everything else that happens in your life, and it evokes the feelings that frame your world and motivate your actions. Thoughts are where we make our first movements toward God, and where the Spirit begins to direct our will to God and His way. Now, we have the ability and responsibility to keep God present in our minds. And those who do so will make steady progress toward God, for he will respond by making himself known to us. If you're separated for a long, long time from someone that you love, it's harder and harder to keep an image of that person in your mind. Thus, my example, uh, when I travel, my, my mind is making direct contact with reality of that place. It's bringing things to the front. It's fresh. It's alive to me. The same thing happens in relationships. I've been working my way through a book on Psalm 23. I think every sermon I've had this year, I've mentioned this book or aspects from Psalm 23. The secret to a life without lack. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The secret to a life without lack is rooted in our knowledge of God. When that knowledge is absent from our minds, everything goes to pieces. 
Your primary contact with God is through your mind. And what you do with your mind is the most, and most important choice that you will make. See, when we place our mind, what we place our minds on brings that reality into our lives. If we place our minds on God, the reality of God comes into our lives. That is why, we, that is why there must be preachers and teachers. Our minds need to be informed by the right view of God. Now, that's really good, but I want more than an intellectual concept of God. I don't want God to be just a great idea. I want to make a connection with a real God. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to experience God in his fullness. I get it that I make a connection with reality and with God through my mind, but I want God to be with me. That's important to me. That's important to most of us. The last verse of Psalm 23 says, Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what we want. We want to live with God. We want to be with him today. We want to be with him tomorrow. We want to be with him the day after that and forever. We want to know his goodness and his love every day of our lives. I want to know him today and tomorrow. The emphasis in Psalm 23 is the fact that God is with us. This abundant, overflowing life comes out of our relationship with him. Our challenge is to believe that God truly desires to be with us. God wants to be with me. God wants to be with you. It is true. God wants to be with you. I assure you it is true. It is the testimony of the biblical authors from beginning to end. It is the promise of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Be content with what you have. Why? Because you have God with you. We can be free from the frantic uh, desire to have things, this drive to acquire more, because God has promised to never leave us. Whatever we have to do, have or, or do not have makes no difference when we have God who provides for us. He can provide everything we need, and this allows us to be content. I lack nothing when God is my shepherd. I like that vision of a life where all my needs are fulfilled, where I don't need to strive all the time, where I don't need to prove anything. And this is possible. But how? How, how can I be with Jesus every day? How can I be with him like that today and tomorrow and then again the day after that? I think first we have to answer that question, do I really want this? Do you really want to live in the presence of Jesus every moment of the day? Isn't that kind of like having a pastor with you wherever you go? This is an important question because if God is going to be with us, we should expect that our lives will be extremely different from ordinary life. Our day-to-day, night-to-night, work-and-play existence will not be ordinary. It would be extraordinary. We should expect nothing less than something very different than the ordinary. 
Sometimes in church, we hear prayers, uh, and I've prayed this prayer, such as, Lord, this morning, we ask you or we invite you to come into our presence. To which God might be saying, really? Uh, where have you been? Because I was here all the time. God has always been present. As the psalmist rhetorically asks in Psalm 130, uh, 139, verse 7 to 10, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. We never escape God. And this is a good thing, isn't it? Uh, not everyone is so sure about that. Look at Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Now, there is a promise here from God. You will seek me and find me uh, when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and then find me when you seek me with all your heart. You can deny God in your mind. That is a choice that God has made possible. However, he is right there with you now. But you can deny God, and he allows us this choice. If you don't perceive, and if you don't seek God with you right now, and you don't see him there, it isn't because he isn't there. See, we are the ones who wander. We are the ones who flee. We are the ones who would rather be anywhere but in the presence of God. God, meanwhile, invites us to seek him and to find him. And he promises that when we set our minds on him, we will see him because he will reveal himself. But still the question remains for you to answer. Do you really want to experience extraordinary days in the presence of Jesus? And so you need to be honest with yourself about this. I need to be honest with myself about this. See, many regard Jesus as necessary for salvation, but not so desirable as a friend or teacher. Some of you really don't want him with you on Saturday night when you're going out. You may not want him to see what you're drinking or what you're doing to friends that you keep. You don't want your pastor or your parents with you when you go out and somehow having God with you uh, maybe gets related a little bit to that same experience. Your answer to the question may not be as holy as you would like it to be. But that's okay if you're honest about it, if you try not to fake it. See, God actually already knows what you want in your heart. He knows your answer. God already knows your exact level of desire for Jesus to be with you. And that has absolutely no influence on how much God loves you and how much God would like to reveal himself to you. So why don't we want Jesus wherever we go, everywhere we go? Well, one reason may be that we don't understand that it is okay with God to be who you are, wherever you are, even when you're with God. See, God accepts us wherever we are, okay, as we are. And if he does that, then we should be able to accept ourselves as well. In fact, it is vital that we be honestly who we are. No matter what happened to us or what you've done or, or any of your other inner qualities, things you may not like, things you may be embarrassed about, it's okay to be who you are. God isn't afraid to meet us where we are. 
even in the valley of despair, even in the bottom of the pit. We don't have to try and be someone we are not. In fact, we cannot be someone we are not. And we won't find God's blessing trying to be someone we are not. We cannot become someone new, a new creation, okay? Or I would rather, I'm going to say, we can become someone new, a new creation, but we must begin honestly where we are right now. You, now the right now you, you are the person Jesus desires to be with. If you doubt this, then ask God to give you the faith to believe it. God takes each one of us as we are. So God wants to be with you everywhere. God wants to be with you, for example, at your work. Your work, assuming it is ethical, is valuable. It is good. God put us here on this earth to produce, to work. So if you drive a truck, or you work in IT, or you teach, uh, you sell insurance, uh, you mend broken bones, or you clean houses, whatever you do is good in God's kingdom. If you want to ruin a good day living in the presence of Jesus, then consider your work as something not good or not okay. When you are get really down in your work, it is not the same attitude as what Jesus has. See, the opportunities to spend the workday with Jesus will be cut off before it starts, if that's where we go. Jesus won't push into your workday mindset if you're keeping him out. But he'll be there alongside you. You just won't experience him. See, we must do our work, and the words of Jesus, uh, and the words of Jesus echoing in our minds helps us. Uh, Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus sends us out into the workplace. He sends us into our communities. He sends us into the different aspects of our lives. And he sends us there to be with us. We need to trust that it is true and come to understand that it is good. It is good that you are, are who you are, and it is good that you do the work that you do. Decide. Well, you cannot drift into a life of constant companionship with Jesus any more than you can drift into a marriage. See, you don't just, you, you, you must make a decision to get married. Uh, you might fall in love, but you don't fall into a marriage. Uh, there's a very clear decision, and there's a very clear action plan, plan, and there are certain activities and the ceremony and many things that must take place before you end up married. Even the simplest of, of marriages have a very clear decision-making process and an action plan to get there. I think it's similar, and we sometimes forget that, we have to make a decision to have Jesus with us as well. Take another example. Let's say you want to go on a vacation. Uh, you want to go on a vacation uh, south to, to Cuba, okay? Uh, if you want to go to Cuba, you're going to have to make a decision. In fact, you're going to have to make many decisions. You must decide to buy tickets, find a place to stay, choose what clothes to bring, and so forth. It will come down to doing all of those specific actions at specific times. If you do not do them, you will not find yourself relaxing on the beach at the time you expect. It's somewhat the same with spending time with Jesus. We must actually decide to do it. Now, of course, if you decide to invite Jesus to spend all this time with you, and to make all the necessary arrangements, and you make all these arrangements for Jesus to spend time with you, 
you may get a little claustrophobic when he shows up. You see, to have somebody with you all the time is perhaps something that you're not used to. It might feel like someone has invaded your space. Well, of course it will, because someone, in a sense, has. It's going to take a little work, and God understands this. The question is whether you're willing to work on this with God, to be honest with Him, and let Him be honest with you. We may not be used to this kind of relationship with God where we're experiencing Him each day and every day and throughout the day. So what does it look like to spend, never, never mind an eternity, what, what could it look like or would it look like to spend just a day with Jesus and then after that maybe a life with Him? Well, on the one side, it is just like now. You still go to work. You go to play. You go home. You go to church. When you invite Jesus into your life, you're actually inviting Him to go on the road with you in the course of all your normal things. What would your day look like if Jesus were at your side? What would characterize such a day? See, a day spent with Jesus um, doesn't mean that we do nothing wrong. Some people say, well, I can't be good enough to have Jesus with me all the time. I'm just not that good. Well, actually, we don't have to be that good. In fact, doing something wrong doesn't mean we've been unsuccessful in our walk with Jesus. It is possible to live with Jesus' presence and fail. You might desire to do something that he would never do. In fact, you might want Jesus to look the other way so you can do something. And Jesus would probably look the other way because he doesn't hang around where he isn't wanted. If we want Jesus to stay with us, he will stay with us. He will reveal himself to us, even if we choose to do something displeasing to him. Remember, Christ welcomes sinful people. He receives sinful men and women and boys and girls. Jesus was repeatedly characterized for spending, uh, or criticized rather, for spending time with undesirable people like tax collectors, prostitutes, and other uh, various sinners. And that's a great encouragement to us. <clears throat> he receives us and is glad to spend a day with us. In fact, all our days, in fact, eternity with us, good and bad, he's willing to spend his time with us. So here's the good news. In a day spent with Jesus, we can be expect to be receiving his strength to do those things that will please him and avoid those things that bring him pain. Now, there will be days of success as we practice the presence of God in our lives, and there will be failures. You cannot live in the presence of Jesus for even a day if you do not intend to do so. And if you truly intend to do something, you will make the necessary plans to do it. It won't be an accident. Our job is to seek. It's all we're asked to do is to seek God. God's job is to reveal himself, and he's promised to reveal himself to those that seek him. He will respond to our efforts. We won't create him through wishful thinking. That would be to live a lie. I can't wish him into my life. But rather, he says that when we seek him, we will find him because he's going to show himself to us. He's there with us all the time. So take some time uh, today and, and each day this week 
In fact, uh, what I did uh, today in preparing for my sermon, I thought, hmm, I actually am going to need a note. I sometimes forget while I'm working. I get very intense when I work. I can be quite cerebral and logical and, and very intensely focused on my work. I have an basement office. It's very quiet. And I can forget about everything that's going on except what's there and my video conference calls and, and the different uh, decisions I have to make that can be very, uh, very draining. And so I took a post-it note and I said, remember that Jesus is with you. And I just put it up there on my screen. I have, I have no other notes. I'm not one of those people that has post-it notes all over the place to distract me. Just one. That was amazing. It wasn't maybe, it wasn't too many times in the day, maybe a dozen times during the day as I was in conversations with people or I was reflecting on something and preparing something, uh, studying a problem. And, and I would look at that and I would think, well, wait a minute. If Jesus is here with me, first, I want to recognize that. Second, it just changed. It just changed a whole bunch of things for me in that moment. I suddenly saw, I, I felt lighter. I felt some of the stress drain, drain away. I don't know why. Some of the stress just drained away. And, and I became encouraged. And, and I threw some blessings out in prayer for the people I was talking to. You. And different things occurred to me that, that didn't occur to me when I wasn't practicing living in the presence of Jesus. Just to recognize he was there started to bring a reality in place. But it wasn't actually creating a reality. What's actually happening is that God says when we seek him, when we start saying, Lord, show yourself to me, all he does is lift the veil so that we can start to see him. So I think we all have the same desire. We so badly want to experience God, not just logically and cerebrally. We want to know him. We want to experience him. But to do that, God says we only have some simple actions to do. One is we need to seek him. We need to invite him in. That's a decision. It's something we actually put in place. And we need to change things a bit to bring him in with us, to travel with us, whether we're going to work, going home, going to church, or going in any other activity that we participate in. He is with us. But do we actually seek him and ask him to reveal himself to us and start? And do we actually live in the presence of God in our moment-by-moment moment life. This is one of the beautiful things and one of the promises we have in the scriptures for us. Let's keep this in mind as we go through this week. Lord, we thank you. Thank you so much for this promise that you have. First, Lord, you have shown us that you are with us. You are, you are present with us, Lord, wherever we are. We can't get anywhere, Lord, where we're not with you. And yet, Lord, we confess we don't experience this so often. In fact, Lord, very often we haven't even wanted to spend time with you. Lord, we perhaps were embarrassed, we were ashamed, or we desired to do something we knew that you would not approve. And so, Lord, we just bring this confession to you. And Lord, we lay ourselves before you as we are. And Lord, as we do that, we, we recognize as well your truth of your word, that you love us as we are. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you take us, Lord, as we are. And you desire to start spending time with us as we are. And you find us precious, Lord, as we are. And so, Lord, we not only confess, Lord, uh, 
this failure. But Lord, we come to you now and ask you, Lord, if we don't have the faith today to say, Lord, I, I, I want you, reveal yourself to me, Lord, give us the faith that we can pray that. And Lord, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear as we seek you out. And Lord, to remember and to know and to plan as we decide to walk this life with you, that we would experience, Lord, the fullness, the richness, and overflowing life. Like we would, Lord, we want that cup that is overflowing. Lord, we want to be know that, Lord, we don't have to chase all these different things to find meaning in our lives, but rather, Lord, we already have it. We're in full possession of it. Because when we have you, we have all that we need. And so, Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you even now with the faith that we have for your answer to this prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.